Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's begin four lines from the top on Munhei Amidalev at the Mishnah. Heid Rabbi Yohanan ben Gudgada. Rabbi Yohanan ben Gudgada testified al hachareshes on a woman who's a deaf mute. She hisia avia that her father married her off when she was a minor. She hiyotzebeget that she went out with a bill of divorce. Now she says, Rabusa Naka. She see Avia, Rabusa Naka, the Alphagab, the Kibla Via Kidushin, the Da, Kishiktana. The Havla Eshes Ishkimura. The context is that she was a minor when her father received the Kidushin for her, and the father has the ability to effect a valid marriage on a biblical level. So she is a full Eshes Ish, she's entirely a married woman. Nonetheless, she goes out with a bill of divorce. Makabela says Gita, and she can receive this bill of divorce. Even though, as a Chereshes, she is not considered one to be fully capacitated. Even though, when she goes out, she does not have her das. Nonetheless, we don't need her das for the effecting of this divorce. She doesn't have to have an acceptance of this divorce. She must receive the get, but it's not dependent on her will. The Ain Misrat Begerishin, even though she is not she has not come to terms with the divorce, she's not Willingly accepting it, nonetheless, she goes out and she becomes a single woman. Therefore, we see clearly that her das is not necessary for a divorce. A woman to get married on her own certainly requires her das. If her father is marrying her off, it requires his das. The willingness of the parties, acceptance, understanding of the parties, but for the divorce, that is not the case. So the Chareshes is divorced even without her das, even against her Rabbah Karacha. The Aksana Basisra, and also in his testimony, was concerning a minor of Israelite lineage, Shinesis Lakoin, that she married a Kohen. That she is permitted to consume truma, the restricted tithes that are given to Kohanim. Kohanim are allowed to consume truma. It's permitted to Kenyan Kaspo, to his wife and his family members, his slaves, animals that he owns, Kenyan Kaspo. Rashi, Aktana Basisra Shnisas Lakoin, Vehi Yisoma. We're talking about where she was orphaned. In the case here, since she was orphaned, her ability to marry is not on a biblical level because it would require her father to marry her off. So she is a minor. 
she's being married off by her mother or her brother, it is only a rabbinic marriage. Shalchelis Petruma, that she consumes this consecrated tithe, Durabonim. Which type of truma are we talking about? Durabonim. Bahani Nisuin. Through this type of Nisuin, that's only rabbinic, she is able to eat truma, Durabonim. So rabbinic tithes are permitted to her through this rabbinic marriage. And there is no decree restricting her ability to consume the truma Durabonim that her husband feeds her. Back in the Mishnah, and if she dies, her husband inherits her. Ve'al Amorish, a gazel. As she says, Kera, the Marish is a beam that was stolen. Shabano Bibira, that was built into a palace. Shayitol is Dhamma. When we talk about being built into the palace, we're not discussing built in in a manner that changed this beam of wood. It could be extracted but it is part of the structure as it stands. Nonetheless, the decree was, in order to facilitate those who would return, to not put obstacles in their way, the robber is only required to compensate the value of this beam, but not to restore the actual beam. So if you require him to go after and extract, which is going to be done in a destructive manner, to his palace, to require him to restore and return to the victim, the beam itself, he'll hold himself back from doing tshuva. He's going to say, why bother? And it cost me my house. All it is is one beam. In order to encourage him to do tshuva, he is permitted to just give restitution to compensate the value to the victim, but not to actually take out the beam. V'al chatos hagzula shelo nodol rabim and concerning a sin offering that was stolen, and the animal was stolen, it's a sin offering now, that was not broadly known, the status is that it achieves atonement, and this is in order to facilitate the rectification of the altar, there's an element of a rabbinic decree over here. Rashi says, It's not known publicly that this animal was stolen. That it achieves atonement. There's no need to bring another sin offering. The Gemara is going to explain what exactly is Takana Samizbeach. 
Tanalehacha. And these last two, that incorporate an element of Takana, some type of rectification, they're included in this sequence. Let's see Tosos. Daktana Bas Yisrael. And concerning a minor who is of Israelite pedigree, as we saw in Rashi, that there's a rabbinic marriage over here. The Trumas are about an Iri. We're talking about her consumption of tithes that are only rabbinic. According to the opinion, broadly, Brad, that the sages do not have the ability to uproot a biblical matter. As is brought in the Gemara Yavamas, that's Sadiq that she eats on his account truma. The context is truma of the rabbinic nature. And if you'll say, why are we restricting this to rabbinic truma? Suggest that even biblical truma should be included. That this young young lady, she's a minor. She has a rabbinic marriage to a kohen. Let her eat even truma daraisa. Because the Torah does not prohibit a minor from consuming non-kosher, even a, a carcass. The Isra Achilles Nevela is not applicable to a minor. So let them say, even just as she can eat a carcass, let her be able to eat this truma daraisa, the biblical type. Tosas answers, that's not so straightforward. There is a debate whether the court is required to separate the minor or not. So it's not so simple to say that she should be allowed to eat nevelos and therefore similarly allowed to eat truma doraisa which is prohibited to a non-coin or not Kenyan castle of a coin. And perhaps the court is required to intervene. The ode. <coughs> also, this teaching that we saw in Yavama's doesn't sound merely like she if she eats it, she is not subject to punishment, but it sounds like it is permissible, permissible even to feed it to her, to directly give it to her. Which, that we don't find. We don't find that you're allowed to feed the minor nevela. Setting aside the issue of Bezin getting involved, but the ability to feed the cotton, that is something that's restricted, militating towards an understanding of our suge, that it's only midurbanan. And further, it sounds as though when this woman 
that this young girl becomes a woman, that she is able to eat truma, even though you do not have a consummation on a biblical level of the marriage. So the marriage starts off rabbinic, but it's going to become biblical when she becomes an adult. But the implication over here is that she will be entitled, even once she's an adult, even if the marriage has not been consummated, to consume this truma. It must be, it's truma derabana. It must be rabbinic truma, because if it was daraisa, she would not be entitled to eat something that's biblically restricted. And in this case, there is no decree restricting rabbinic tithes on account of biblical tithes. As we will find, there is such a decree concerning a cheresh, the deaf-mute husband, marrying a pikachas, a healthy woman. This Tosos is giving us an understanding why the default over here is that this girl is permitted to eat truma only rabbinically, rabbinic truma, as opposed to biblically, even though she's a minor. Let's see the Gemara. Amar Rava. Midaito shal Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgada. From Me'edusa. Amar Rava. Me'edusa shal Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgada. From the testimony of Rabbi Yochanan, the son of Gudgada. Rava says, Amar le'edim. We can deduce from this. If the husband said to witnesses, Ru'uget zeh shaninosin la. Take a good look. Witnesses, I'm going to give this bill of divorce to my wife. Because of Amala, and then he goes back and says to his wife, Receive this, have this document that describes a debt. Nothing to do with divorce. So although he told the witnesses that He's giving her a bill of divorce. Then he told his wife, here's a shachov. This document records a debt. How do we digest that? How do we interpret this? Behold, she is divorced. Was it not said through the testimony of Rabbi Yochanan and Gudguda? that we do not need her understanding, acquiescence, for the get, for this bill of divorce to be effective. So to in this case, which was not part of the direct testimony of Rabbi Yochanan and Gugudo, which is talking about Echereshes, this woman who's a deaf mute. But this case too, it would appear a straightforward extension of the teaching of Rabbi Yochanan and Gugudo. The testimony he offered. Shita, this is obvious. What is Rava trying to teach us through this extension? Mal detema, what would I have thought to say? Given Omar when he tells his wife to receive 
this document of the debt, Bitule Butler. We could construe that as a form of negation. He's chickening out. He thought he was going to give her a bill of divorce. Then he actually confronts his wife and he decides, you know what, I'll change my mind. Instead of going through with it and giving her the bill of divorce, he says he's giving her a shtachol. Kamashmalan, therefore, Rabbi comes to teach you that that's not the way to interpret what's going on. There's no bitl over here. It's not nullified. And it is a valid bill of divorce. She's a single girl. Im Isa debat lele edim have amalu. If he would come, that he was really coming to negate this bill of divorce, so he would have told them. So if he really wanted to negate the divorce, this bill of divorce, he would have told the witnesses, you know what, I'm not going to really divorce her. I'm just going to give her this note. But why did he say this to her? Very strange. He's giving her a bill of divorce. Why didn't he say, this is your bill of divorce? This is what he should do. Because he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed of his wife. So therefore, he has a hard time looking at her, looking at her, telling her what's going on. And he presents a story. This is, this is not the full picture. Obviously, there's an element over here. She, she's going to be collecting suba. So there is a chov, a, a debt that's going to be collectible, but he's not giving her the background. That's because he's divorcing her. But he told the witnesses, we don't view this presentation on the husband's part as backing off of this bill of divorce being valid. And Rava says this is an extension that naturally follows through from the teaching, this testimony of Rabbi Yochanan ben Gugida. If we take a look at the Ramam, Gerishim, Perk Aleph, and how do we derive that the husband can only give it to his wife in the context of affecting divorce? As the verse states, a book of severance. And he has given it into her hand. It must be given over in the context of Severance. But if he gives it to her with the presentation that it's merely a document documenting a debt, or he's giving it to her as a scroll. She sees some parchment with some writing on it. Looks like a mezuzah. Oh, or if he gives it in her hand, she's sleeping, and she's uh, slightly fluttering from this, not in a, in a waking state. When she wakes up, she says, oh, look at this, I have in my hand. In these cases, it is not actually a bill of divorce. 
I've raised again. If he says afterwards to her, by the way, that's not a mezuzah, that's your bill of divorce, then it is considered a get. It is a valid bill of divorce. That's Shittas Ramam. Krisus, Sefer Krisus, must be communicated, but it does not need to be communicated at the time of the giving, according to Shittas Ramam. Now to our case, he says to the witnesses, see this bill of divorce that I'm giving her, and then he says to his wife, accept this document, this bill documenting a debt, I raise a kosher. This is a kosher bill of divorce and divorce. Because he has informed the witnesses that he has given her this, which is all that's required. And this which he said, it's that's documenting a, a debt, that's just because he's embarrassed before her, from her, but he's he's not changing his mind, he's not nullifying, as we saw, this bill of divorce. And it's called giving Bitar's Gershim. Because he told the witnesses, the witnesses are aware, that's good enough. Even if she doesn't know what's going on, that is good enough. So in Allah, Yud, we don't find, it appears, any need for her to actually be aware that it's a bill of divorce. It needs to be that there is an awareness that there's a bill of divorce. That's accomplished by the witnesses knowing that. One could suggest that once the witnesses know the word is going to get out, the witnesses create a certain publicity. She might read it, she might not read it, but with the witnesses seeing this giving over of the bill of divorce for that purpose, so that's enough to affect right now the giving over Shitan Bitaris Sefer Krisus. That is Shitas Rama. We look at Tosos, Ein Chesem Ralat, Enoget Ad Shiyomelot Hagite. It's not a bill of divorce until he tells her, Behold, this is your bill of divorce. The Ri from Balitosos required a husband who's giving a bill of divorce to his wife to declare, This is your bill of divorce. Vigam. And also to say, Behold, you are permitted to all people, you're a single girl. As it sounds like later on, challenges this assertion of the re. Even if he didn't say that, it sounds like in our sugya, in Hamad Allah, that it's a kosher get, even without this declaration. Gabi, may do so, Sharab Yochanan ben Gudgada, Nishma, Amal Edimu, get Zahu. From the extraction of the testimony, we extended that, Rava said, to the case where the woman didn't understand what was happening. She thought she's just holding on to this 
document that's recording a debt. She didn't know that there was a, a divorce going on, and yet it's a good get. It's, it's a fine divorce. It also says, over there as well, afterwards, the witnesses will tell her, by the way, you're divorced. Even though a woman can be divorced against her will, she doesn't need to agree to be divorced. Nonetheless, she has to be told, this is your bill of divorce. And behold, you are permitted to remarry. In order that she know that she is divorced and to not return. We need, in order for it to be a good divorce, we need that she is sent away and not returning. If she's not sent away, so then she would return. Tosfus asserts that that is a flaw a fundamental flaw in the divorce, she has to be sent away in a way that she's not returning. So, Tosa says it's accomplished subsequently. Now, the question is how subsequent? It says, Afterwards, the witnesses will tell her. Does it mean instantaneously? Does it mean word's going to get out eventually? Tosfos doesn't tell you the, the time frame and at what point this bill of divorce actually is effective. But Tosfos understands clearly that the Sholcha, the Enechazeris, is fundamental to a good get, but to be a, a valid bill of divorce, she has to be sent and not returned. And he says that is accomplished because the witnesses will inform her. We take a look at Tosus and Yavamas, Kofi Beis, Amid Beis. Hey, Rabbi Yochanan, Amid Gudgada, Rabbanan, Vila Beis, Amid Rish, Lahavi Raya, Lidivrayam, Mamoralo, Af, Zokiotseba. This teaching is brought as a support in the context here in the Mishnah, the testimony of Rabbi Yochanan, Ben Gudgada. Vim Toma, Rabbi Yochanan, Ben Nuri, Lama Enamis Koreshev. Hello, Eina Choseres, Kishim Ramzimla. Why, according to Rabbi Yochanan Nuri, is she not divorced? Once you indicate to her what's going on, she will not come back. At the time when the get was given, she would still come back. And she doesn't understand what's going on until she's taken away against her will. So, the Tosus here is saying that Bishas Nesina Saget, at the time of the giving of the get, according to Rabbi Yochanan who says there's no get, the, the problem is it, it's not enough that she'll find out later. The giving of a Sefer Krisus, that she is sent away and not returning, has to be together with the giving. It cannot be that she it's revealed to her later. The Gemara brings, Kofi Gimel Amid 
in Yivamis, Vitana de Bey Shmuel, Vishalcha Mibesel, and he sends her from his home, Misha Mishalcha Venachazeres. The context must be that he's sending her and she doesn't return. To the exclusion of one who is sent away and returns. So that there is a restriction here. The Shlich should have to be sent away for the Gerishim and not return. If you look in the tour in Avina Ezer, Koflamidvav, Sifhe, Tour writes, Vitar Shateda Bishash Makabel's Gita. Shu Gita. And there needs to be a knowledge on her part at the time that she is receiving this bill of divorce that it is a bill of divorce. And that she is receiving it for the purpose of this severance of being divorced. But if he gives it to her with the understanding, the context, that this is just a document recording a debt, she is not divorced. Unless he tells her afterward. By the way, this is your divorce. This is your bill of divorce. Oh, Or if it was told to the witnesses first. So the tour says it doesn't have to be simultaneous. It could be that there's a context, this bill of divorce is being given over with that intention to divorce when the witnesses know it. You don't need anything else is what it sounds like. The witnesses' knowledge is good enough. Or, even without witnesses, if he tells her afterwards, by the way, that which you, you were under the impression, maybe even I gave that impression, he could say, that this was not a divorce. By the way, this is, take a look, read it, it is your bill of divorce. The Torah says that would also be adequate. If we look in Shulchan Aruch, the Machabe brings, he must give her, the husband, the bill of divorce, with the intention to divorce, the clear Torah's Gerushin, but he gave it, if he gave it to her, just as a shtarchov, just a, a debt, then she is not divorced, unless he tells her after. By the way, this is your bill of divorce. Or that he informs the witnesses first, like the tour. Says the Ramah, the Ramah qualifies. This is true as long as the woman knows that she is being divorced with this. Oh, or the witnesses inform her. They have to tell her. In case of Tosos, as we saw in Tosos, the Ramah brings in Tosos that she must be informed in order for it to be valid. The Gra says. Elam Ken Yomar, Anis Ramah. Well, starting with the Machaber. Nasnis and Sham, Kurebi, the Gemara. 
Ubilvad. The Gros says Ubilvad. Sifkaten Yud. Tosos Ein Ches. The Tosos we saw a little bit later in Gitin. Daf Ein Ches. Aval Harambam. Los Svirlekin. The Rambam disagrees. As long as the witnesses understand what's going on, she doesn't need to know at all. It has to just be clear that the giving is a giving, the Tars Gerzhin, and she doesn't even need to know. The girl is pointing out this machlokas, that the requirement for the get, according to the Rambam, is just that there be a giving clearly for Gerushin, and that's accomplished when the witnesses know that, even if she doesn't understand what's going on. Tosis has an additional requirement that she has to know she's being divorced. Granted, it can happen afterwards in order for it to be valid, but without that, you do not have a valid divorce, according to Tosis. She must know. That's how Tosus understands the requirement that we saw from Rabbi Shmuel, that it's being sent away in a way that she doesn't return. If she doesn't know, so who, according to Tosus, what does it matter that the witnesses know? She is going to be returning. Tosus says there is a kapeda, not just on the Nesina, but also on her death. Not her death, that she has to agree. She doesn't need to agree. She doesn't have to be on board with this. She just has to be aware that this is a divorce. Amachlokas, Rambam, and Tosos. In Perk Yud, Halacha Chav Gimel of Gerishim, the Rambam writes, Mishnashtarcha ishta harez zemegarsha beget, retim gurusha, somebody whose wife became a deaf mute so he can divorce her, and it will be effective. But if she becomes a shoto, not just a deaf mute, but a totally incapacitated, then he cannot divorce her until she regains her sanity. This is a rabbinic decree. This is protective fence, rabbinically, <coughs> to ensure that nobody takes advantage of her. Therefore, that is just a requirement that she stays married, but he is permitted to leave her be. The, the husband doesn't have to continue being financially responsible for her. And he can remarry. He has no further responsibilities as a husband. That was not required of him either. It's not in the normal capacity of a person who has his wits about him to live in the same house with the insane. He's not required to heal her or to redeem her from captivity. If he did divorce her, she is divorced. And he sends her out of his home. He has no further requirements towards her. The Ravid disagrees here. Although the Ramam is a doctor. The Ravid has his perspective over here. 
If you take a look at the Ksuba, there's a requirement to heal. And if she could be healed, so why shouldn't he be required to heal her? So what is a mental illness? He's required to heal her. You have plenty of cases where somebody had a breakdown, they lost their sanity, and they came back to their, their senses, they became healthy again. And we're healed. So the Ravid disagrees. He says he's still required through the terms of Ksuba to heal her if there's any possibility of her regaining her sanity. The Ravid says, in order for it to be a good divorce, she has to be able to guard her get. She needs to understand, on the most rudimentary level at least, that she's being divorced. If she doesn't understand that, so it's not a shiluchin, she's not being sent away without coming back. So it depends on how insane she is. But she needs to have the idea of lishmar gita, uh, the Gemara that we saw in Kofi Gimel Mabez, in Yavamas. The Ravid says that is required over here, closer to Tosfus. And again, he's being masik and Ram, disagreeing with the Rambam, who says it just has to be given Bataris, Krisos, Bataris Gerushin, but she doesn't actually have to understand. Meaning, in order for the for the get to be potentially valid, the witnesses are adequate. Miguel Oz defends the Rambam. He says that if it's a type of illness that is protracted and prolonged without clear prognosis, he's technically, the husband is technically not required to heal her from that. And therefore, he says, such illness typically has such a, an expectation, and therefore, that's why he's not required by the terms of the ksuba to heal her. Nonetheless, the Ramam does right. Not, <laughs> not der Herz. He's lacking in common, uh, common decency. But from a technical requirement of his obligation... Such a prolonged, protracted illness is not covered by the Ksuba. Okay, let's see the Magad Mishnah. Quoting the Ravid, V'hu sh'edas lishmar's gita adkan mavur kein b'gemar k'dvar. Seems like the Ravid is correct. Sh'amru sham hechidam. Gemara says, I t'yadas lishmar gita v'yadas lishmar atzma mi nogi ba minig hefker if she knows and understand what's going on. She can maintain the bill of divorce and herself. So she's well enough to do that. So is there any real concern that people take advantage of her? How could it be that she's biblically divorced? Rabbi says, and it should be given into her hand. As we saw, the woman who is sent away and not returning, to the exclusion of this one who is sent away and comes back. Because of 
Kedomali, Sherbeno, Shalo, Birkan. Why doesn't the Rambam clarify what's going on over here? So machlo al mashikasa perk bezachites. Says the Magamishnah, but the Rabbit's right. What do you mean? It's a Gemara. Why is the Rambam not being misyaches to this Gemara? The Magamishnah answers that the Rambam is relying on what he wrote earlier. Perk bezachites. Bedin haktano. Shkol she'eno mavchenes. Ben gitel deva acher. Over there, the Rambam brings the halacha concerning a minor, a young girl who's being divorced. She cannot discern between a bill of divorce and other documents. Enemas then she is not divorced. Vu pirush, my mission says, I, I don't have another explanation for the Ramah. And know that just as a minor who doesn't understand what's going on can be divorced when her father accepts the bill of divorce on her behalf, as long as she has not uh, consummated the marriage, so too over here. Know that if he does divorce her, he is liable for the payment of the ksuba. This illness that developed is a consequence that that some tragedy that befell him. It's like his field becoming flooded. It's his loss. So his wife became ill. It's his loss. It's not her problem. It's his problem. And he is still financially liable to pay the ksuba. She didn't do anything wrong. The Magi Mishnah says that although it's it's not explained by the Rama, he says it's al-derech, what he wrote, similar to what he said in Perikbez Lachetes, when the Rambam talks about a minor, the, the divorce of the minor, is your test. Just to see it inside, the Rambam writes, Kishavia, Hiktana Umes. The father accepted Kedushin for his minor daughter and then died. Im Mavchenas ben Gito If she can discern between this bill of divorce and other documents, then, as soon as it arrives in her hand, she is divorced. Hmm. And if not, then even though she's got it, and she's playing with it, she's making paper airplanes with it, she is not divorced until she understands what it is. And if he divorced her, she is not divorced. It doesn't work. She needs to have hafchana. She needs to, to understand what is going on. Al-Kopanim in order for the divorce to, to be valid, there needs to be an, an element of, of Havchana. So that, that's an important question, the context of this Ramah. I mean, what if you have Aden? Would that be adequate? Right, like in our case, what if they're Aden? You have witnesses. 
that creates a context where there's a clear Teres Gitkin, Teres Gerushin going on. She just doesn't know what's flying. Akoponim, this case does seem a bit worse than the case where she's under false impression until she's informed that it's actually a bill of divorce. In this case, she can't understand if she's too young. That's worse, potentially, than in a case where she happens to not understand, and she will understand, understand later. When, it's, when the witnesses tell her, when the word gets out, the witnesses have a, a call, there's going to be common knowledge of what transpired because it took place before the witnesses. So she's going to catch on quickly to what happened. So even if she doesn't know at the time, it could be it's in a similar vein that she has to be capable of understanding it. The Rambam is, is very awesome. It could be that he's saying it's not Shaykh or maybe it would be Shaykh with witnesses. It's a bit awesome. But the, the Magen Mishnah is saying then Perk Yud that when he does give her this bill of divorce, basically the, the Gemara, in Yavamas Kofi Gimel Beis, Magmishna says the Ravid is correct, that she needs to be Yodas Lishma Gitva, she has to understand that this is her bill of divorce, be able to have a degree of Shmira, some context of what's going on, for it to be valid, has to be sent away without returning, like we saw in Tosos. Raman doesn't mention that, my commissioner seems to push back and say there does need to be at least alkoponim, like there's often a comparison drawn. All are linked very often. So although he didn't explain it, the Magmishna contends that the Ramam is relying on what he wrote earlier, that she has no capacity to understand that would also inhibit the get. And he didn't bother mentioning it over here, even though he could also potentially agree the Ravid. My mission is essentially trying to make shalom between the Ramam and the Ravid, saying that the Ramam would agree to the Ravid, and just not speaking it out. Perhaps the, the Grah is learning, not that way, the Grah is learning, that the Ramam is disagreeing with Tosos. Uh, different ways to understand. The Ramam is a bit sussum. Let's continue. In the Gemara, Laktana Bas Yisrael, and on a girl who is not Bas Kohen, Ve'ilu Chereshes, and what would be if this girl is a Chereshes, a deaf mute? Rashi, Shelo Hesia Avia, Vinisus Me'atzma Lekohen Meshigadla. And she, on her own, took the initiative to get married to a Kohen when she's already an adult. Lo, ach, then she may not eat truma. My time, why not? Zero, This is a decree lest there be illicit consumption of truma of these tithes in the case of a cheresh and chereshes. where the husband is a deaf-mute, and the, so is the wife. The Lechel. The Gemara pushes back. What's the big deal? 
What, what are you worried about? She is a minor. She has the status like a cotton who's allowed to eat, allowed to eat non-kosher. So what are you, what are you making a decree for? What, what's the concern? And if she eats it, what's the problem? No, there is a decree in a case when the cheresh, this deaf mute, marries a healthy girl, a healthy woman. Not a girl, not, not a minor. She's an adult. And he is a Kohen who is a Cheresh. So he might marry a healthy woman if he marries a woman who is like him, who also is a deaf mute. Fine. So there is a rabbinic marriage. And she's technically allowed to eat not kosher. She could eat, although there's no biblical Kenyan casual, she could eat the truma because she could eat Nevelas. But Rabbanon came and made a decree for the case when the Cheresh marries a Pikachas, when he marries a healthy woman who's an adult, okay, so at least let her eat Truma that's rabbinic. The case of the Cheresh be there is Truma de Rabbanon, that in theory there's a rabbinic marriage, so let her eat Truma de Rabbanon. Let it be Hemamr be let that be, be the case. No, even though technically that would be within their purview, Still, they were concerned that she might come to eat truma de Raisa, biblical truma, and therefore they restricted even truma de Rabbanon in this case, as we Satos mentioned. Often, we find ke'en de Raisa tiknu, they wanted the truma de Rabbanon to be treated like truma de Raisa, although there are many exceptions to that general uh, inclination of truma de Rabbanon, the takana of truma de Rabbanon. Here we find it very clearly that they are not lenient on Truma de Rabbanon because of his concern that she may come to eat Truma de Raisa, the Pikachas, the healthy woman who married the Kohen who say Cheresh. Rashi, Lilu Chereshes, Lo Achla, Bitruma, Neshani Tana, the Milse, the Ayrube Chereshes. Rashi explains that the Mishnah switches the context of what we're talking about, midstream. The Ari Vichareshes, the Shavga Vinokiktana. The teaching of the Mishnah starts out with the testimony of Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgudah about a Chareshes. This woman is a deaf mute. And then we switch, as we saw in Magad Mishnah, Chereshot and Katan are often bundled together, they have similarities. So why not continue talking about Chareshes? We were talking about that through the testimony for, before. Why do we switch midstream? And yes, we're jumping to a different case, but why do we switch so much? Why do we talk about a Katana? Why not talk about a Chareshes? We now switch to be discussing a girl who's a minor. Derived from here that the woman who is of, of years, she's deaf-mute, but over 12, her marriage is of rabbinic nature. She does have nesuin, medirabanon. Kavasa nino, lo In such a case, she is not permitted through her marriage to eat truma. So that's, that's why... We spoke about a katana bas Yisrael, we had to switch to a katana 
a minor because if we would have continued just modifying the case, but continuing the same character of Echareshes, so then we would not have the same Allah. That is the Diuk, that the Echareshes is excluded. And Udafka Biktana that is permitted. My time off. What's the reasoning? There is rabbinic marriage between a cheresh and a chereshes, the deaf mute, whether it be the groom, bride, or both. There is rabbinic marriage. Shama yachel, lest he come to feed, coin, cheresh, becheresh, the coin who is a deaf mute, to feed his wife who is a deaf mute. If you permitted the feeding of Shroma by Pikech Becharashes, it will come to the feeding of Cheresh Becharashes. Parech Belechel. Who cares? Mar says, This woman, who's a Cheresh, is eligible to eat even non kosher. So let her eat Shroma. Hacheresh, Kim de Les Badaita. Since she does not have full capacity, so she's not bound by the prohibition of eating nevelo. As we saw in Tosos, it is a debate. There is an opinion. There's no requirement of Bezdin to get involved. Even biblical truma. Let her eat it. There is a decree lest the husband, Kohen, who is a deaf mute, feed his acquisition of Kenyan Caspo, the status of his household, is not actually biblically recognized. So he did a Kiddushin, but it's only rabbinic. So his wife is not biblically recognized as Kenyan Caspo. He cannot feed her Trumo. And if he's married to a healthy woman, and the Rabbana did sanction such a marriage, rabbinically, this woman is prohibited from eating non-kosher. Hilkach, Gozer, Therefore, they made a decree by the, the union of a pikeach, a healthy husband, going with a chareshes, even though she should be allowed to buy all rights, consume a truma, because the case of cheresh bepikachas, in the converse case, where the coin is the deaf mute, and he married a healthy woman, so in that case, we don't want her to be eating the truma that she's not allowed to eat, because she is not called Kinyan Kaspo on a terror level. But by an adult with a minor, there's no reason for a decree. A minor, when the groom is a minor, there is no Nisuin, even There is no even rabbinic marriage in such a case. Why not at least allow Truma Durabanan to be consumed when the husband is a deaf mute Kohen and his wife is a Pikachas? As much as we recognize rabbinically the marriage, so allow her to have the Kenyan Kaspo Midurabanan that he is able, he should be allowed to feed her Truma that is only rabbinic. And the Gemara answered, that is not, even though it technically would be correct, that is not what they chose to do because they were concerned 
that he might feed her, this deaf-mute husband, Cohen, might feed his wife, who's healthy, an adult woman, Truma Daraisa, which she's not allowed to do. Continuing in the Gemara, Ve'al Hamorish, Agazol Shabano, and on a stone beam that was built into the palace. Tonor Abonon, Gazol Marish, Ubano Babira, a sage is taught that if someone stole a beam and built it into a palace, Ve'shami Onim, Kekolabira, Shama says it has to be extracted from this palace, Kula, in its entirety, even if it's destructive to the, the structure. And the object itself, this beam, must be restored to its rightful owner. Which, by the way, is what it sounds like happened in Nineveh. Basil says no. Even though technically that's what should have been, but merely restitution is what is offered to the victim, not to be given the beam at the cost of destroying the whole palace. Why is that? In order to pave the way for those who would return to do so more easily. You should not be discouraged from tshuva because of a, an onerous, technically uh, required, but an onerous process for them. So, midrabanan, the, the requirement is just restitution of the value of the beam, but not the beam itself. That's basically. Continuing the, the next part of the Mishnah on a sin offering that was stolen, Kulu. So the Mishnah said, that there was no public knowledge. There's a decree, because of Tikkun Mizbeach, that it achieves atonement. Amar Ula, Ula said, There is a decree over here, clearly in the Mishnah, but what is the biblical status? Ula says, whether there's public knowledge of the theft or not, it will not achieve atonement, my time on Yish which is how we pass him, that Yish just giving up hope of restoring that which was stolen, is not adequate to affect the transfer of the ownership, and therefore the victim who has given up hope of getting it back, if all that happened was it was stolen and he's given up hope, he, he still deserves to be given back the lost object, in this case the animal, and he cannot be pushed off with money by just restitution of the financial loss because Yishkidilokani. Just this despair is not adequate to affect a, a transfer of ownership from the victim to the robber. So why did they say that in a case where it's not known, there should be atonement through this sin offering that was stolen? In order that the Kohanim should not be distraught, saddened, and deterred from engaging in the service, So the Rabbanon said to Ula, read the Mishnah. It says, for the 
rectification of the altar. And you're telling me about sad Kohanim. Your Kohanim are sad, so go and uh, teach them to be happy. But what does that have to do with Tikkun HaMizbeach? Nan, Omer Lehem, Kibben the Kohanim Matsevin. Since the Kohanim are saddened, Nimtzum Mizbeach Vatel. If they're sad, they're moping around. They're not interested in doing the service because they're afraid. They're doing, instead of doing a mitzvah, they're doing a veira, unwittingly. Apparently, this is a big enough problem. People stealing and bringing that as a carbon. Right? Yeshaya has to say, God hates theft in an elevation offering. Don't, don't bring it as an offering. Give it back. Right? That's what Yeshaya Novi has to say. So apparently, it's a, a big enough problem that the Kohanim are nervous about it. And therefore, they're going to go on strike. Say, why should I do the service? Maybe it's stolen. So therefore, it comes out that the Mizbeach is not in use, because the Kohanim are not willing to serve, they're on strike. And therefore, the Takana was for the Mizbeach indirectly, meaning by the Kohanim now saying, okay, since the transfer has been affected, Hefkeb has the ability to affect this transfer, so therefore, the Kohanim are not implicated in some unwitting wrongdoing. Therefore, they'll be happy to serve, and the altar will be in use. Rabbi Huda Omar, Rabbi Huda disagrees. Omar, Rabbi Huda says, no, it doesn't matter. Whether it's known or not known, the offering, this chatos, will achieve atonement. My time Yishkadikani. What is the reasoning he holds that the despair on the part of the victim alone affects the transfer? And now that he has despaired of retrieving his actual stolen animal, so it is acquired by the robber. Tap of So if it works, so then the takana is in the other direction. Why then did they make a decree? that if there's publicity, that it does not achieve atonement, so that people shouldn't say that the altar is eating from theft, even though technically it's not theft, according to Rabbi Yudha. Rabbi Yudha says, Yishkadi is konen, so it's not ochel. The Mizbech is not eating gzelos technically, but because of the publicity, it, it looks bad. Let's go back and catch up on the Rashis. Yush kedi, yush levado, despair by itself, below shinu rishos acharish, without a transfer of domain after the yush. Lokani, according to Ula, that does not affect an acquisition. Le'inyin hakrava, for the purposes of this being eligible, this animal being eligible to be brought as an offering. Afilo shamino. And even though we have heard that the victim has despaired of ever getting his lost, stolen uh, animal back, still, it's not considered by uh, the, the one who's bringing it, korbano, the, the robber who wants to bring this animal as an offering, which is not a good idea. It needs to be his carbon, and it's not. Shalai Kohanim Asavim. So they made a decree in order that the Kohanim should not be saddened, distraught. Rashi says, what part of this whole 
tragedy bothers the Kohanim most is that they're going to be consuming non-sacrificial meat that was slaughtered in the Azar, which is prohibited, which is pretty fascinating. That's the big problem, meaning it's not a good idea. But what bothered them, what is bothering the Kohanim is the consumption, not the other facets of this carbon gone wrong because it's not really a carbon, which is also problematic. But the consumption is what bothers them. Nimtza Mizbeach Bato. So it comes out because the Kohanim are on edge about this potential. They're not going to be interested in engaging in the service. They don't want to end up eating Shkul and Shneshukhu Bazara. Nimtza Mizbeach Bato. They're going to go on strike and not, they're going to hold themselves back, not engage in the service. And if you'll ask, how could the courts uproot something that is biblical? And exempt this person who is liable to bring a sin offering and say, pass, you're done. That it's not considered uprooting the Torah if it's done in a passive manner. So they're not beyond the bounds of rabbinic jurisdiction when they tell him passively to not do what the Torah says to do. So they're telling him not to bring an offering even though the Torah says bring an offering. But nonetheless... They're, they're not uprooting the Torah because they're not telling him to do something that the Torah says not to do. They're just telling him to restrain himself from doing that which the Torah requires. That's not called uprooting the Torah. Whether it is known or not known, the, this uh, the act of the theft, there will be an atonement. If there was yush, if there was despair, on the part of the victim. That's Rabbi Yehuda. Continuing Rashi, top of Menhemad Beis. And what's the reasoning that they said that if there's knowledge about this theft, that atonement is withheld? The Mishnah says, when it is not known, there's atonement. Ha no The implication is, if it is known, then there is no atonement. Kilomar Ainakrevo. Meaning it won't be brought. Umar answered, basically an idea of Khilashem, Shalo Yomram is Bech Ochzelos. Rashi. Tostos rather. Vimtomar Taptosus. Bachiyesh Kokbiat Khachom and Lakadavanatara, the Kumase. And do the sages have the ability? To uproot, uh, uproot a matter from the Torah proactively. Biblically, there's no need for another offering. So to say, according to Yehuda, that there's a rabbinic requirement to not bring this offering and a new offering be brought would be in violation of requiring to do something against the Torah. That's a, a strong cash. Biblically, he's done. 
there's bad publicity, it looks bad, maybe. They'll say, Mizbech consumes exalus, Mizbech is eating from theft because of the publicity. And the guy brought us carbon chatos. What's the problem? Tosos modifies. What does Gemara mean? Specifically, if it's before the sprinkling of the blood. That is the critical point. If there was a broad knowledge of the theft before that point, then there is no atonement achaper. But if there was Rika done, and then after that, blood was sprinkled on the altar, then the word breaks out about this terrible travesty of theft. There's a big buzz about it. But it was after Zrika, too late. He already got atonement. Then the Rabbana would not require him to bring another sin offering because, in fact, Tosas holds to this question. That would be Komvase. That would be the Rabbana uprooting something from the Torah to require him to do something that the Torah says not to. Therefore, it has to be that they caught it in advance of him actually achieving atonement. That's when they'll say, shelve it. Don't bring this. Bring another one. But if he actually achieved atonement, he would not be able to bring another one. Back in the Gemara. Second line. Bishlom ula It goes well according to Ula, the first opinion we saw, Yushkadi Lokani, that the despair alone does not affect an acquisition, a transfer of ownership. That's why the Mishnah says Chatos, the sin offering. Rashi, That is where the Kohanim consume from this offering. But according to Rav Yehuda, who says Yishkidi Kone, so Rav Yehuda says, really, there is an effective transfer over here. Why does the Mishnah speak specifically about Chatos, about the sin offering? Even this, the elevation offering should also be equ- equally subject to this concern of Why are we focused on Chatos in the Mishnah? It should be broader. Not only is what is that mentioned, meaning, not only in the case of Ola, that's obvious, the color that it is consumed, he, the concern is certainly by an Ola, but the Chiddush of the Mishnah is even by a Chatos. Why? A Chatos, the sin offering, has the fats and the blood that goes up to the altar. And other portions of the offering are consumed by Kohanim. So it's not as bad as the Ola, which is Kulo Kolo, that is entirely consumed on the altar. That looks worse that the Mizbeach should be consuming Xelos, that which is stolen. Even a Chatos, where the Mizbeach gets less, only the fats and the blood, the sprinkling of the blood. Nonetheless, it still is a problem of Ochel Xelos. It looks like the Mizbeach is consuming from Gezel. That's According to Rav Yehuda, why Chatos is, is mentioned is a, a bigger Chiddush in Chatos. It's less consumption of the altar. Nonetheless, they still made this Takana. It's not. Al Chatos, Agzula, 
Shelo nodal rabim, shemicha peres, concerning a sin offering that was stolen, but does not have publicity, it achieves atonement, this is in order to achieve a tikkun form of mizbeach, this affects some benefit, rectification for the altar, this goes well according to ula, nicha. According to ula, that says that yish kedi is lokani, so this goes well. El Rav Yehuda ibchami boile, but according to Rav Yehuda, the opposite should have been said. Rashi ibchami boile, ve'alchatos hagzula shenodol rabim she'enoch haperes minit kanasim isveh. On a sin offering that was stolen, that there's publicity known to the public, that it does not achieve atonement is the Takana. That's the Takana, according to Yehuda. Meaning, according to Yehuda, the, the default is there is atonement, and the Takana is that there should not be atonement. So it's it's written in the opposite way. So this is really what is meant to be said. If it is not known, there is atonement. If it is known, there is publicity to the theft, then it will not achieve atonement. That's the Takana corner of Yehuda, because of Tikkun Mizbeach. So it's a little harder of a read, but that's the way Rav Yehuda will interpret the Mishnah. Meisiv Rava. Rava asks a question. Ganav v'hiktish. If someone stole and then consecrated the animal. V'chakach tavach u'mochar. And then he slaughtered it and sold it. He must pay double to the victim, but not four or five times, depending on whether it's a lamb or an ox. And it was taught concerning such a case that somebody has consecrated offerings that are brought outside of the temple, there is kares, there's a spiritual excision, very weighty consequence. V'yamet yush kedi lokonin, if you say that despair alone, if the victim despairs of getting the animal back, there is no kenyan, like Ula said, so kares my avidite, why is there any mention of kares? Why should there be spiritual excision? It is not consecrated. It, it looks like it's consecrated, it's pseudo-consecrated, but yush kedi lokani, and therefore it's still owned by the victim, so it should not be subject to consecrated offerings being being processed outside of the temple. Amar, Rav Shizbi, Kares Medivrayim. Rav Shizbi said, it's Kares from their words, rabbinically. They laughed at him and said, is there such a thing, spiritual excision, by their words? Which, parenthetically, we do find such a thing by Balaramis, so it's interesting that they find it preposterous. Rava said, Concerning Rav Shizbi, 
a great man said something, don't, be, don't laugh so much. Don't laugh at it. Kharis shayide divrein basalo. Meaning, spiritual excision through their words has come to him. The Rabbanon affected the transfer of ownership in order that he should be liable. I mean, it's not that the Rabbanon are the boss making him chayv karis directly, but rather through the takana of the Rabbanon to, to transfer the, the ownership from the victim to the robber, of this animal, there is an effective consecration, and therefore he will be liable on a biblical level now. <clears throat> Actually be subject to karis through their takana of effecting a transfer. In order that he should be liable. Let's see Rashi. Bachutz, Ishaq Bachutz, Anush Kares. Kares Maya Vidite, Bishlam Alinian Tashlum Abravachamisha, Lokashon. We have no problems with liability for four or five times. Just as they said, rabbinically, according to Yehuda, just despair will not affect the transfer. That is for the purpose of, being, of bringing this offering on the altar, but not for the consecration. But spiritual excision. If on a biblical level, this animal cannot be brought as an offering, something that is fit to enter as an offering by the entrance to the tent of meeting, that is what is liable, it generates a liability if it is processed outside, but something else not. So it's not fit for processing as Kodshim, Zivchei Kodshim, then it's not subject to the consequence of being processed outside. Kares Shaitei Dibrein Basla. Kares Do Raisok and Farsh Vazim. It is Kares, spiritual excision, on a biblical level, as explained. Kumura Bonon, Ganav. The sages established this animal in the domain of the robber, or the thief, Imik Disha, if he consecrated it, that it should become fully consecrated, to the extent that he should be liable to spiritual excision if he actually slaughters it outside of the temple. Just as they established it inside his domain to achieve atonement. They made it his. And it is a fine that they put on this thief, the Hefkeb and the Hefkehu, the The courts have the capacity to make something Hefkeb, Hefkeb and Hefkeb, and therefore they can take away the victim's ownership of this animal in order that the consecration should be valid. So when the hmm. thief consecrates this animal, it's not restricted by the prior ownership because, because rabbinically they said, we're making it Hefkeb, away from the, the one who was victimized here, was stolen from him, and they are allowing the Yish Kadi to be con. They're allowing the, the robber to acquire it 
And therefore, once he acquires it, it has all the results of that, including kares, spiritual excision, for processing it outside the temple. And Lachar, you see over here also that the Hefker Bezna Hefker is not merely limited to Hefker, to take it out of the domain of the victim, who's the rightful owner, but they are also facilitating the bringing it into the domain of the Ghana, the thief, in order that his consecration should be effective. One could posit perhaps that it is Mamela, that the Hefker allows the, the uh, Ghanav's hold on it to be consolidated. The Tzarek Bir, exactly how much the Bezdin is accomplishing through this Hefker, are they actually giving him ownership or just creating a circumstance where his own actions consummate that ownership? It's not 100% clear, at least over here. Back in the Gemara. Omar Rava. Ho vadai kamibodli. This I certainly have a question about. Kikmur Rabbana Bershuse, that which we understand that the rabbis established this animal in his domain, the domain of the thief. Mishaz Gnebo Disha. When did that take place? From the time that he stole it or from the time that he consecrated it? At what point did they say rabbinically it's his? What does it matter? What's the difference, whether it was earlier at the time of theft or later at the time of consecration? For the purposes of Giza and Vlados, for the shearings and progeny, Rashi, if the transfer rabbinically because of Hefker, and Hefker is achieved before Hektish, Yamar Mishas Gneva, Kaima Brushuse, Gizusi Dideu. If from the time that he stole it, it was already given over to him before the consecration, so then the added wool that, and as well the progeny from this animal would accrue to the thief. And then when it comes to make restitution, he's not giving the animal back itself, that's clear, that we understand. But how much restitution? Does he have to give back the value of the, the newborn calf as well, or the shearings as well, or just the value of a pregnant cow? So that depends on when they transferred, when the rabbinic de- decree of Hefker and Hefker took effect. If it was from Gneva, at the time of the, th- the theft, then the victim is going to get less. If it's time of hektish, from the time of consecration, then the victim will get more, will be compensated more for the loss. So my, what is the Allah? Rava answered his own question. He said, it's presumable that how do they make this decree? From the time of consecration, there's no reason to gratuitously give the thief any extra benefits so presumably in, in, in order to prevent that they only gave him the ownership from the time of consecration 
and he will be liable to pay the victim the value of anything that was really his from before, that was his up until consecration, including if, if it gave birth to a calf, so the calf as well, if, it, if the animal was sheared, the shearings, all that would have accrued to the victim, if, and that's the conclusion. As Rabbi says, presumably they only gave him the ownership from the time of consecration and not before. Let's see the Mishnah. Sikrikon They were not Sikrikon in Judea. Rashi says, Sikrikon Bihuda. Sikrikon of the Kochavim. We're describing over here an idolater. Rutseach, a murderer. Shenosen lo Yisrael Kaka Bepidinafshim. That a Jew gives this idolater, murderer, murderer who's, who's looking to kill a Jew, the Jew buys him off by giving him his property. He says, take my land, don't kill me, take my land. He says, just take this, this land, don't kill me. They have these sikrikon. So, lo hai sikrikon bi Yehuda, beruge melchama, by those that were killed in the war. Rashi says, Mechamas Titus, this is describing the war of Titus, surrounding the destruction of the temple. The location, this conflict was in Jerusalem and Judea. The Gemara is not going to ask what's going on exactly. From the time of those who were killed in battle and beyond, or at the time of the war and beyond, Yeshba Sikrikon. There was this some decree of Sikrikon, of these idolatrous murderers. <coughs> Ketzad had this play out. Ketzad, Lokach Misikrikon. If somebody purchased from such an, an idolater murderer or potential murderer, and then he went back and purchased from the, the rightful owner, Mechlobato. The transaction is nullified. If he bought from the original owner first and then bought from this idolater murderer, then the transaction is established and validated. The transaction is nullified. We say that the victim only acquiesced to this transaction out of fear. Inami, Alternatively, he says, I'd rather deal with this guy who's buying than the first guy who is the Sikriko on this, this idolatrous murderer. So he acquiesces, but he doesn't really mean to cede his ownership. Gemara establishes this as the context where he did not write over a document. Continuing the Mishnah, If someone acquires from a husband and then acquires from his wife, in a similar vein, the transaction is nullified. Rashi, If somebody purchased from the husband, a piece of property 
that was designated for the satisfaction of the ksuba of his wife. Oh, shekasov b'ksubasa. Or if it was written into this ksuba, oh, knisasalo, shum b'ksubasa, kolshkein shanechasim, di lo avdale amar la enech nesata b'gevshin. Of misa, halchim k'nil le b'vabasra. So we're talking about the transaction on a piece of property that is designated to satisfy the debt of the ksuba. And uh, the concern, yeah, of, of other, uh, certainly transaction of other properties, that if it's not done, so it will, it will appear as though She's looking for a divorce or the death of her husband. And why should she be averse to this transaction? So if, if first, the transaction is nullified, in that case, the transaction is nullified because she can say, I didn't really mean it. The only reason I acquiesced is because I didn't want my husband to be upset. So I agreed. I just wanted him to be happy. But she didn't really mean to cede her rights to this property. But, if the transaction started by the woman, so she's not doing this to make her husband happy, the transaction started with her, and then the purchaser of the property rounded out the deal and acquired also from the husband, then, then the transaction is established and validated. So that's a similar parallel to the, the previous case of buying from Sikrikon and from the Balabais, from the victim. So do we view the victim as actually being a willing participant in the transaction? It depends on the order. Zu Mishnah Rishona. This is the first teaching. Bezdin Shal Acharem Amru. The subsequent courts declared. Elkeach Misikrikon. A person who purchases from these idolatrous murderers, no sin revia, must pay and compensate the original owners, the victims, a quarter. Rashi, no sin revia, sheshiro de sekrikon mozil gabe revia. The general uh, transaction of this idolatrous murderer is typically uh, done at a discount to quickly flip it. So the purchaser is presumed to have gotten a discount to the tune of 25%, a quarter. So the market value is really higher and therefore the victims should be compensated by the purchaser a quarter. Amasai, when is that true? Bisman she'ein biyadon likach. At the time when they don't have the ability, the victim doesn't have the ability to actually purchase the field and restore it to his own ownership outright. If the victim has the ability to actually repurchase his field, he comes first before anybody else. Not just to get compensation, but to get the field back. Rebbe Hoshi Bezdin 
Rebbe established a court and they declared, they made this designation, Sh'im, Shasa, Ifnei, Sikrikon, if it, the property tarried by the Sikrikon for 12 months, then whoever comes first acquires it. But when the victim of the theft, of this forced purchase, if you will, ransom, comes forward, he is compensated a quarter. Rashi. Uh, back in the... Let's see the Gemara. Now, what did the Mishnah say? The Those who were killed in the context of this war did not have the din of Sikrikon. But from the time of those killed in, in the war and on, there were Sikrikon. What it means to say is they did not judge the din of Sikrikon. Rashi, Beruge Melchama, Dikon Gamri. By the time when people were being killed in this war, so then the victims that ransomed their lives with their property, with the fields, there was a full fledged acquisition. And then somebody who purchased from the murderous idolater has a full-fledged acquisition. But from that time on, those who were killed in this battle, in this war, and beyond, later you have this din that we described where there's recourse for the victim. Back in the Gemara, the Amma Rev Rabbi Asi, Rabbi Asi explains the historical progression. There were three decrees through the course of the conquest of Judea. Gzersa Kamaisa, the original decree was The first decree was anybody who doesn't kill a Jew would be killed. Very uh, strong imperative. So, in that context, when the victim ransoms himself by saying, just take my field and let me go, so he really means it, and there's no recourse. Mitziasa, in the middle case, called the kotel, laisi abazuze, in the middle, the relations between the conquerors and conquered was improved, and Jewish blood was cheap, but was not at at the threat of death to kill Jews. And if a Jew was killed, he'd have to pay a fine, a forzuz. And finally, it was restored that anyone who had killed a Jew would be killed. Therefore, in the first and second phases, since he would be killed by this person, the idolater, ready to kill him, he intends to cede his ownership of the field in order to save his life as a, as a ransom. But at the conclusion, when 
there would justice was restored. If somebody killed a Jew, they would be brought to justice, and they would be killed for murder. Omri, so the victim would say, Ha'idna Lishko, let him take it today. This guy's threatening me. Fine, take my field today. Tomorrow I'll bring him to court. So that's in the final stage. Rashi. Doma Rebi Asi Shalshkzers Gazar Titus Bipomushalo. In the campaign of Titus, there were three stages. Kol de Lokatel Israel, Kohechad Mishkachle. Anyone who would not kill an Israelite anywhere he was found, like Tulu, should be killed. Hilkach Agav Unse, therefore, under this duress, Ki Amalei Sok Hakazu, when the victim says, take this land as a ransom for his life, Benicheni, just don't kill me. Akne Nele Belev Shalom. He really means to cede his ownership with a full heart. Kaimlon, Tolvazovans Venus Venus. Gemara says, a Transaction that takes place under duress is effective. So yes, there is duress here. He's under the threat of death, but he really means to, because of that, to cede his ownership of this field. It is effective. That's right. Let's see. Continuing in the Gemara. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, That which is written, fortunate is the man that is perpetually in terror, and one who hardens his heart shall fall into evil. This verse in Mishlei, is referring to, it goes, it's fitting for this Maisa, Akamsa Bakamsa, Chor of Yerushalayim. The tragedy of Kamsa and Bakamsa, which precipitated the destruction of Jerusalem, a Tanagolta, Tanagola be Tanagolta, Chorav Tur Malko. Similarly, another tragedy of a rooster and a hen leading to the destruction of Tur Malko. And Aska, Derispek, Chor Betar. Concerning this Aspa Derispek, there was the destruction of Betar. So all of these are appropriate examples of this verse. Akamsa Bakamsa, Chavishlein. What is the story of Kamsa Bakamsa that led to the destruction of Jerusalem? Dahu Gavra Derachme Kamsa. There was a certain fellow whose friend was Kamsa. Baldavove Bakamsa. And his enemy was Bakamsa. And he made a, a feast, had a celebration. He said to his attendant, Zil Aisili Kamsa. Go and bring me my friend, Kamsa. But the messenger didn't do it right, and he brought him the enemy, Bar Kamsa. Also, Ashkad Yosef, and the host found his enemy sitting there. What's going on over here? This fellow is an enemy of that fellow, meaning, you're my enemy, what are you doing here? My boy Sacha, what are you doing here? Kumpo, get up and leave. Says, now that I've come, maybe I thought you were trying to restore the peace between us, but now that I'm here, let me just pay for what I'm eating and drinking. Don't throw me out. Look, the host said, no way. Says, I'll pay half of the feast. 
But no, I'm not doing it. Get out of here. I'm leaving. The mekula sudaseh. He said, I understand that you know this is embarrassing to throw me out of your meal. You didn't want me to come. Fine, I'll pay for the whole feast, the whole celebration. Amalelo, he says, no, I don't accept. Grabbed him by the hands. With his hands, he stood him up and threw him out. Amar, so this guy was terribly embarrassed. There were some rabbis sitting there. They did not make a protest. You see, they don't care. They're happy about this. I'll go and be malshin. Rashi says, I will go and bring libel to the Romans. And, and mm-hmm. they're going to suffer. That's this, this verse that he's not afraid. He should have been afraid. So this fellow went to the Caesar and he said, you know, the Jews have rebelled against you. I'm like me, Amar. Wasn't a fool. He said, who said that? Where are you coming from? Bring evidence. I'm like, send them an offering and see. Will they bring it? And you'll see they won't. He went and sent in his hand this fattened calf Tells us about what exactly the implication is, but a, a choice calf. And as it was coming up, and he placed a minor blemish in this animal. It was a gorgeous animal, but he placed a minor blemish there, either at the upper lip, or some say in the eye. That according to us is considered a blemish, and according to them would not be considered a blemish. The Rabbanon thought maybe we should bring this offering in order to maintain peaceful relations with the government. Even though we should not bring it, it's, it has a blemish, but they're going to be deeply offended. They brought this fattened calf, and we're not offering it. So, said to them, to the Rabbanon, People say, that if you do that, they, they're going to make a mistake, not realize it's because of these Shalom uh, Malchus considerations. And they'll say, you're allowed to bring a Balmum to the altar. So then they said, okay, maybe we should kill this guy. He's, a, he's trying to be Malshin. He's dangerous. Maybe we should kill him. That he shouldn't say over that we didn't bring it. Rabbi Zechariah responded to them. They're going to say that if somebody puts a blemish in a consecrated animal, he's liable to death. And that's also not true. Maybe as if people can misunderstand. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi ben Rabbi Yochan said that it was the humility or patience of Rabbi Zechariah ben Afkulis that brought about the destruction of our house, of the temple. The burning of the Hechel. And we sustained exile from our land. Rashi says, 
Rashi says that they they were bearing this fella and did not kill him. The sages were were too tolerant, and they they should have killed him. That's why Rashi implies that Rabbi Yochanan's critique was, in terms of the various options, it was that this option that that uh, should not have been tolerated. They should not have tolerated this fellow who was trying deliberately to cause destruction. Somebody gets it wrong and thinks that the Tzchayev Misa for Matal Mumakachin, so they'll get it wrong, but they should not have tolerated this fellow. That's Rabbi Yochanan. An interesting ra- uh, Tosos over here. Behuda Abruge Melchama Yushalmi Brishona Gazugzeel Yehuda Why? Did the Romans initially decree against Judah? The fish, Messeris Biyadam, because they had a tradition in their hands, Mevosam, from their ancestors, Shehuda Harag Esav, that Yehuda, Judah, killed their patriarch, Esav. Dirsiv, as it's written in the blessing of Yehudah, Yadcha Ba'arifaybecha, and your hand is at the nape of your enemy. Betaninami Bisifri, Yod of Ravlo. And it's also taught in the Sifri. This is describing Yodav Ravlo, his, his hands. The great one was to him, is the way it's understood. At the time, like Rav Yavod at the time that Yehuda killed Esau. It describes the demise of Esau, that Chushim, the son of Don, Shokal Kufi, took a, a bat, and he struck Esau's head, the Esau, and his eyes fell out, and he fell at the bed the Yaakov, of Yaakov. So it sounds like Chushim and Don did it, not Yehuda. Seems to be Machlokes, between this Yushalmi and the Bavli. So Tosa says, maybe it's not Machlokes, Shema lo meis ba'osaka, Maybe, although it seems like a very strong blow presented in the Yushalmi and Sota, in the Bavli and Sota, perhaps Esau did not die from that blow. Until, as Yushalmi says, Yehuda got up and killed him. Next, Tosos. That somebody who was just always afraid and in terror. He was called a sinner, as is written, that it's considered sinful that in, in Jerusalem they were just uh, afraid and, and terrorized. The Gemara asks, what do you do with our verse? That seems to say, it's praiseworthy. The Gemara resolves this by saying, our verse is talking about words of Torah. What is he afraid of? Afraid of forgetting the Torah that he learned. And he continuously repeats and reviews what he has learned in order to make sure he doesn't forget. And here as well, it is brought concerning these stories, these tragedies. They were too contented and in a, in a position of uh, of uh, goodness and tranquility that 
they were they were participating in this in the feast in general their situation was such that they did not want to embarrass Bar Kamso, Lamo Abbas Kesar, the other story, they should have been afraid to be afraid that punishments are on the way. So we hear the, the participants, Tosus is, is attributing the Pachat to the, the Chachamim, it seems. They should have been more worried about the consequences of punishment bearing down upon them. And they were too trusting that the, the current comfort would be maintained. And the, the, the Gemara that in, in Brachas that says it's sinful, the one who's mefached, is, is in terror, that's talking about somebody who is afraid for no reason. Just, it's not for no reason, he's, he's a scaredy cat. That is something that is, is sinful, he should not be afraid for no cause. But over here, there was reasonable concern to be afraid, and they should have been afraid. They should have acted on that fear. It was, it was complacence that led them. The, the lack of fear was the problem over here. And that's the context, in this case, where there's an appropriate fear. Similar to the resolution of the Gemara there, an appropriate fear of forgetting. Sometimes people forget what they're learning. It's very important to review one's teachings, because that's a reasonable fear. 